Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. People sometimes take issue with me. I know it's surprising to me as well, but sometimes people disagree with me and they they criticize me for using the term Democrat Party instead of Democratic Party. And I do it for a reason. And now it's actually just habit. But but I initially started doing it for a reason, and it is because they do not behave in democratic ways. Right? So dropping the IC eliminates any confusion that I think oftentimes they try to uh, they try to conjure uh, in order to uh, conflate their party with the democracy, right? Which honestly, whenever you hear Democrats talking about saving the democracy, you uh, can just swap out Democrat Party because that's really what they're talking about. It's a it's a party protection argument usually that they are making. But here's the latest example of why I call them the Democrat Party. Will Duran over at the uh, Raleigh News and Observer up in, uh, well, Raleigh, uh, but the McClatchy paper, you know, sister paper to the Charlotte Observer, uh, Will Duran sent out a series of tweets today about um, the the finalization of the ballots for the 2024 primary, which is coming up uh, in March for North Carolina. We do ours, I believe, in March. Okay, So um, in other North Carolina uh, political news, he says the State Board of Elections will be finalizing candidate lists for the 2024 primary. The Libertarian Party candidates include somebody named David Time Traveler Dunlap, as well as somebody else who wants to be listed on the ballot simply as Toad. I'm not sure if that's the wet sprocket, but maybe related. Not sure. His next tweet then says, North Carolina Democrats submitted only one name for their primary. Joe Biden. That's it. But there is somebody else running in the Democrat Party. There are other candidates. There are other people that want to be on the ballot, too. But the Democrats only put one name forward in North Carolina. He says it's unclear if this might lead to legal challenges by other Democrats who have said they are running for president. In 2019, there was a fight when the North Carolina GOP wanted only Trump on the ballot. And remember, Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, oh, they made hay out of that. Right. Because, you know, orange man bed. So therefore, uh, we need to figure out a way to uh, to slam Trump, slam the Republicans and look at them. They don't care about the democracy. You know. Trump is not unopposed this year, obviously. Republican voters actually in North Carolina are going to have seven options. Um, I've never even heard of this fella, Ryan Binkley. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the guy from the Bloom County cartoon strip, but maybe. Um, Christopher James Christie, Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson. He's still on the ballot. Oh, okay. 
Vivek Ramaswamy, and Donald Trump. Now, the Libertarians, their response is, look, this is why the Libertarian Party has a a hard time uh, making headway. You get a lot of these candidates and you get a lot of these silly names and stuff. But on the other hand, um, they're going to let their their voters in their primary decide. Now, in North Carolina, if you are registered unaffiliated with any party, you can pick any primary to vote in. So you can go vote in the Libertarian Party if you really are, you know, if you're feeling moved to vote for Toad, you can do that. You can it, you you can vote Democrat. You can vote Republican. I have told this story before, but one year I walked in on the primary and I said, "They said which ballot do you want?" I said, "Surprise me." <laughs> Just whatever. I know the candidates. I know like is a local election. There were very few races. So um, here's the here's the key though. If there is ever a runoff, you don't get to then vote in that runoff if you did not vote in the initial primary. Does that make sense? So let's say Trump and Ramaswamy finish one and two and uh, neither one clears the bar or whatever for for an outright win. So then they go to a runoff. You would not get to vote in that Republican runoff if you did not vote in the Republican primary. So what does this mean, though? Democrats now do not have a top-of-ticket race to motivate them for their primary. Now, there are going to be, you know, governors, like Josh Stein's running for governor against uh, Michael Morgan. So maybe that's enough to to generate a lot of interest, but that's that's one of the downsides here when you don't let your voters decide who the nominee shall be and you tell them, Joe Biden is going to be the man. Um, yeah, I'll keep an eye out for the uh, time traveler as well. I, I have a lot of questions. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a second. It's spelled Trime Traveler. T-R-I-M-E-T-A-V-E-L-E-R. So it's like he took the R from Traveler and moved it to, to the word time. So it's Trime Traveler. I'm not interested now. No, like I, I would have had questions for a time traveler, not for a trime traveler. That's just, I would not, not, not a lot of interest. Um, New York Times, they did a poll. You know me, I don't go, uh, I don't go over like the the polls of like who's winning at, at this moment right now and all that. Uh, more interested in the trend lines and stuff. More interested in in. Open-ended questions, you know, right direction, wrong direction of the country, those types of things where you can kind of track progress over a longer period of time. Anyway, um, the New York Times did a poll, and it's it, it shows Joe Biden is in terrible shape for, uh, I mean, just physically, mentally. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, yes, that too. But also in terrible shape when it comes to uh, his reelection polling. And what Jim Garrity points out is that this is mainly due to the economy and to immigration. But the New York Times chose to interpret the results as a as a sign that Joe Biden is in trouble because young people thinks that he's supportive, uh, too supportive of Israel. <laughs> this was so the New York Times puts the poll out. They get the results back. And when you read the results, you can see there are a lot of people that have a lot of concerns about the economy, inflation, cost of stuff and immigration. There are some other issues in there, too, but they do not say Israel. 
They do not say Joe Biden loves the Jews too much. That is not one of the answers, even in the top five. But the New York Times writes the story as if it was. The president also is apparently, like, scolding his staff because they have not been able to raise his job approval numbers. (laughs) Which... I'm not sure that's on the staff to do that, Joe. I, I think I think you might have, I don't know, some ability to move those numbers. What do you think? Biden is, according to this poll, trailing Donald Trump in a 2024 rematch. Oh, and uh, Jill Biden, sorry, Dr. Jill Biden, she thinks Joe is working too hard and he needs more rest. <laughs> like... These people live in fantasy land. The big domestic issues, by the way, these domestic issues usually outweigh all international issues. And so the Israeli Hamas thing, that's not going to move people, despite what the New York Times is hoping. They're hoping that this is the explanation or something. I don't know. Got a tweet here from Jamie who says, even as a registered Democrat, I'm working on it. I've never called it the Democratic Party. It's Democrats and Republicans, not Democratics and Republicanians. Republicanians. Republicanites. Republicans. Yeah, it's not. It's Republicans and Democrats. Yes. So two big issues that Joe Biden uh, is uh, suffering under, right, uh, as we do, too, is the uh, immigration Uh, But mainly it's uh, the economy, it's inflation, high cost of living, that sort of stuff. And um, he is uh, underwater in some of these polls that have been released. The Times put out a poll and uh, they offered respondents an open-ended question. They asked, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? They didn't give them a multiple choice. They just said, what do you think it is? And then they took all of the answers and they piled them together into categories. And you know how many people said the Middle East or Israel or Palestinians or whatever, something related to to the war? 1%. 1%. Total. 1%. That's it. Among voters in the younger demographic, because the New York Times makes this argument in their piece that Joe Biden is suffering from... Uh, uh, low approval of how the Israel-Hamas war is going, that he should be demanding ceasefire, and that he is uh, particularly suffering among the 18 to 24-year-olds, 18 to 29-year-olds, the younger demographic, the younger voters. And they're just abandoning him now, all because he's you know sticking with the Jews. Among young voters, it's only 3%. That's it. What are we talking about here? The entire article is framed as Joe Biden facing a crisis among young voters who are abandoning him over Israel. But as Jim Garrity notes at National Review, he says, you go to the 32nd paragraph in this story, and the Times says many of the people in that group who were old enough to vote last cycle didn't vote. They didn't even vote. So they weren't even motivated to go out and vote for Joe Biden last time. Biden is not trailing Trump 
because young people are upset with his stance on Israel. Jim Garrity suggests that maybe certain people at the New York Times want that to be true, but that answer is not true. 20% of respondents answered the economy was the biggest problem facing the country. 20%. Another 14% said inflation and the cost of living. So add those together. That's 34%. That's one out of three. That's your number one answer is the economy inflation. Number two came in immigration at 10%. Everything else, less than 1% said abortion. 2% said gun policies. 2% said climate change. 1% said racism or racial issues. 1% said Ukraine. 1% said China. So what are we talking about here? It's the economy. And this has got Joe Biden a little upset. These poll numbers have Joe a little upset. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out the washington post did a story by tyler pager um gosh how many jokes do you think people made about him like like with pagers and stuff it's like going through school like oh why'd you page me pager and never mind um i just always think of those terms like imagine the names that people get called like i don't know why i think like that i don't say the names i don't do that to people anymore. Um, yesterday, the Washington Post's Tyler Pager offered a scoop on how Biden was reacting to his increasingly dismal polling numbers. It's from the Washington Post. Quote, after, pardon, yeah, after pardoning a pair of turkeys, an annual White House tradition, Biden delivered some stern words for the small group assembled. His poll numbers were unacceptably low, and he wanted to know what his team and his campaign were doing about it. He complained that his economic message had done little to move the ball, even as the economy was growing and unemployment was falling, according to people familiar with his comments who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a private conversation. Like, dude, you know, you can you can move the ball on... Yeah, you can do that. You can go out there and hammer away at how awesome the economy is, claim credit for it, Bidenomics is working. Oh, you tried that already. Jim Garrity goes on to say, no one has greater control over what the American people think about their president than the president himself. There's something hilarious and sad about Biden calling his staff into a room and berating them for his own bad job approval numbers, right? It's so Joe Biden, though. That's so on brand for him. He says it indicates that Biden still chooses to believe that he's doing a terrific job and those stubborn, unreasonable American people just won't give him any credit. Oh, you know what? I know. 
how about another speech in front of, in front of uh, uh, like a like a building that's just lit up in red with dark uh, uh, flags and banners and a bunch of military people behind you? Maybe do and then like start yelling about the magas and stuff. Maybe maybe that'll move the needle for you. Make people forget about inflation. Look, it's it's uh, inflation's not it's going down. It's actually not going down. It's still going up. And all of the all of the increases over the last three years, yeah, they're still there too. It's all gone up, and now it's all baked in the cake. We we have not seen deflation. Driving in today, I was flipping around and landed on the uh, public radio station, and they've got some woman on there giving like advice on you know how to get out of debt and all of that. And she she says something about like inflation coming down. And this is a person who is advising other people how to get out of debt. And she had some sound advice, what I heard. But like that comment alone, when people are complaining, like we don't have anywhere else to cut, you know, times are tight. I think somebody said like I'm uh, had to take up another job. In, I retired, but I had to start an, had to go back to work because the inflation's killing me. What do we do? How do we get out of this debt? And she's like, well, it's coming down. It's not coming down. The rate of increase has slowed, but all of the prior increases remain. And it is still increasing. And you telling people that what they're not experiencing or what they are experiencing is not actually what they are experiencing. You're gaslighting them. I don't know if it's going to work. I have no idea if this uh, approach is going to work. But there are a lot of people invested in this argument trying to tell everybody how good the economy is and we just don't know it. I went to the grocery store and usually I would my grocery bills were usually somewhere around $100 to $125. Now they're over $200. There's something hilarious and sad about it. It indicates he still chooses to believe he's doing a great job. He says this is borderline delusional. At minimum, Biden refuses to recognize that the public might have legitimate gripes with the state of the country and the current quality of their lives. And then he, he brings in some data. He's got Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics, who said buying a home or a car right now is, quote, completely unaffordable for the typical American household because you are mixing the higher borrowing costs with the higher prices. He estimates that the typical American household would need to use 42 weeks of income to buy a new car. That's amazing. 42 weeks to buy an, of income, to buy, it's, it's almost a whole year, right? Three years ago, before Biden took office, it was 33 weeks. So it's gone up by nine weeks. So an extra two months of car payments, right? The National Association of Realtors calculates that the typical American family can't afford to buy a median-priced home. median Home prices, that is, if you take if you take every single home value and you uh, put them in a line from lowest to highest, and then you go to the middle of that uh, of that set, that's what the median price is, and that gives you a better uh, read on the the true affordability of housing. Because if you were to look at the average or the mean, that's the you know mean, median, whatever. Um, mean is average, and that means that you can have like a couple of really, really, really expensive homes and it warps that average. It, it takes the average higher. 
the median tells you you have an equal number of homes on either side of this midpoint. This is truly in the middle. You have enough housing stock on both sides. This is the median. And the average American household cannot afford it. That's a problem. Oh, it gets worse. Axios reports senior aides and First Lady Jill Biden want Joe to get more rest. He's just working too hard. He's working too hard for the people, which, look, if, this, if that is the explanation here, then I am on board with Dr. Jill. Please rest more. Stop doing whatever it is you're doing. Just stop touching that. Stop doing that. Stop Whatever it is, just stop. Because whatever you're doing is not working. Joe Biden is 81 years old. His schedule is unusually light for a president. Public events almost always are, in, uh, are between late morning and mid-afternoon. He just did something at uh, the, the funeral service for uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. Right, comes right. I've noticed this too. It's happened like he does his addresses and stuff, his speeches or availabilities. They're always in this time frame late morning, early afternoon, and then he, he's gone. You rarely see him at evening events, weekend events. He doesn't do public events for a day or two after he returns from overseas. Again, he's 81 years old and he does appear. To have declined physically. We know this. The White House has confirmed that, which of course, and I'm not saying that to attack the guy as a pejorative against him. It's, it's he he's 81. And he's he's a little slower. And they try to do this thing where it's like, oh, he's gonna do this little trot out to the helicopter, like this little little fast walking thing, like, oh, look at him, he's fit as a fiddle in all of this. Like, guys, you had to give him special sneakers. Come on. You're not fooling anybody. The president skipped COP27, which I think is a law enforcement event. No, I'm kidding. It's the, it's the climate change thing, um, which I'm fine with him skipping. See, like, I, I, I'm fine with him not going to that. He hasn't gone to Africa. Um, he skipped summit dinners at G20 and at NATO meetings. Biden rarely does press conferences and TV interviews. He hasn't done a town hall in I don't know how long. Anthony LaMesa says if Biden is already doing too much and he needs to rest more, how will he govern the country and campaign at the same time next year? If anything, he's not doing enough. Right? This but then again, I go back to 2020, the guy ran the campaign from his basement. Of course it was a little bit more defensible back then because of the pandemic and all. But why not? If if that strategy worked, you're just going to keep Biden hiding, then let Donald Trump suck up all of the news oxygen and make it a referendum on Trump. I don't know if that works, by the way. Like, I'm not making a prediction here. I have no idea if that strategy works, if that's even something that they might contemplate doing. And I suspect if they're really worried that he's going to lose, they might do that they might very well do that because if it worked last time maybe it'll work again and if you don't put biden out in front of the american public all the time and all they're seeing is donald trump you can create this sort of uh fiction that trump is 
in charge, right? Like Trump is still the president or something. Look, people are stupid, right? There are people that <laughs> there are people that will think that Donald Trump is still president or something. But I don't. Yeah, I, I just don't understand how the first lady, how Jill Biden, sorry, Doctor Jill Biden. I, I just I don't understand why she's pushing him to rest more. That's. No, Jim Garrity is exactly right. His poll numbers are not because his message isn't getting out. His poll numbers are bad because the message has been received. We all have received it because we are all living in this country. Things are unaffordable. They've they've become more expensive. Uh, Incomes, I saw uh, some stat where incomes, uh, real wages are now starting to increase. Because, yeah, because, because people need... Uh, more money, and the businesses can't hire people at the low salaries. This also leads to a thing. I've got a piece here also on the uh, the welfare cliff. In fact, hang on a second. Maybe I'll do it right now. How much time I got? Yeah, I got two minutes. Let me see. The um, This was over at Carolina Journal, and uh, they talk about in North Carolina specifically, uh, and I've talked about this as well. It's called the welfare cliff or benefits cliff, where if you make – a low amount of money, not a lot, you uh, then get a slight pay raise. You then lose more benefits than the pay raise covers. Does that make sense? So single mom, two kids, receives benefits. She makes $14.25 an hour. So the annual net income is about $24,000, a little bit more. If she were to get a $0.25 per hour pay raise, so she goes from fourteen twenty-five an hour to fourteen fifty an hour. She loses almost eight thousand dollars in benefits, and to then generate that difference, she would not have. She would have to make not fourteen fifty an hour. She'd have to make twenty-nine seventy-five an hour, almost thirty dollars an hour to cover that gap that she lost. So when she's making fourteen twenty five an hour and the boss says, hey, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to give you a raise of a dollar an hour. That's actually going to cost her. And that, that's why they call it this cliff. You fall off this cliff. It's a catch-22. It traps people in cycles of poverty. There are ways to address this, though. There have been some models put forth that seem to be working. Um, for, one, uh, for starters, you've got dozens of programs. They're, they're different. they got different goals. They have competing goals, sometimes inconsistent rules, overlapping recipient groups. A rather obvious step North Carolina could take would be to do what's called a one-door model like Utah does. They implemented this back in 1997. Missouri also. Missouri's got uh, a transitional benefits program, so they use a sliding scale that steps down the benefits until the household reaches a certain higher income level. So it, it right, it creates that safety net without becoming a hammock. The safety net should not be a hammock. It's not a destination. Work is the best way to escape poverty. <laughs> 